And we are recording with the one and only Mr. Roger Williams on Sunday, June 11th, 2023 at 6.05 p.m. Eastern Time. Roger is crying because he's so happy to see me. I don't fault him for it. I don't I don't look down on him. I also cry when I see me. Um, <laughs> but uh, for anyone's wondering about the uh, the thumbnail, is uh, Roger had fast-acting or fast-forming cataracts and finally the saga is over and his eyes have been repaired he has become a bionic man and um but uh today's episode roger is the author of my favorite book the metamorphosis of prime intellect the link of which will be in the description buy it on lulu not amazon give roger more fucking money but today's episode stems from a chat during the video game live stream from a while back we're playing teardown i think craig had mentioned something about thermal vision and you had explained that you said ah thermionics and mm-hmm. right then and there, I knew we were doing a Professor Roger episode. <laughs> and because, you know, that is it's one of the things that you, you kind of dawns on. It's like when you finally learn, like, what fire is in chemistry. You're like, well, what the fuck is fire? I remember me. It and my, turns out to be more complicated than you realized. <laughs> but still, even then, it's just like this, like, thing that you've taken. I remember me and my buddy Cal just shit faced standing next to a fire freshman year of college. I remember he looked at me and he goes, you're a smart guy. What is fire? And I just went. I have no idea. And and that's thermal vision. I mean, most of this shit I don't understand. But, yeah, how do you visualize heat? So with that, Professor Roger, take it away, my friend. Well, we're going to start with how you make things hot and cold or tell whether things are hot and cold. Uh, because that was – I actually thought you wanted to talk about this because summer is coming. And it's no, about got, to get hot. No, I got my air conditioner working, <laughs> so I no longer give a shit about anything outside of my house. Yeah. Uh, so uh, refrigeration was invented in the early 20th century. Uh, and uh, it, it made a, a huge difference. It made the the South, for one thing, livable mm-hmm. for a lot of people who would have just died in the summer before that. But... Uh, This is a LTA transducer. See, it has a little code on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, I've ruined this one because it comes with a little uh, coating along the edges that seals it up. And uh, I think if I catch it just right, you can see that it's made of a bunch of columns. Oh uh-huh. yeah, you can kind of see through it. Okay. Um, so this is the device that is behind all those little camp refrigerators that plug into your cigarette lighter in your car. Um, and that code on this one, uh, the TE tells you it's bismuth telluride. That's the, uh, that's the semiconductor that these little columns are made of. Uh, C tells you it's a 40 millimeter square that's the size uh the one is the number of stages it has 127 thermocouples and it's meant to draw six amps this is literally designed from the ground up to plug into your car okay it'll draw six amps and it'll do about 60 watts worth of cooling uh now these these little suckers are freaking miraculous this has no moving parts. If you think about it, 
uh, normal refrigeration system, you've got a compressor, you've got an evaporator, you've got all these pipes with a refrigerant running through them. So you've got all these points where leaks can spring and motors can fail and so forth. So why isn't the entire world heated and cooled with these things? Well, the main reason is that they're only about 25% as efficient as a gas cycle refrigerator. And the biggest reason for that is, uh, like right now, my home air conditioner is running because mm -hmm. I'm in New Orleans. The compressor, which is where the hot stuff is done, is in the backyard. It's 60 feet from here. Yeah. The evaporator, where the cold stuff is done, is right on the other side of that wall, mm -hmm. about 10 feet from here. So there's not a big reason for the hot and cold that have been created by this weird system of gas cycles to suddenly want to mix and reintegrate. On the other hand, this thing is about two millimeters thick. Ah. So the hot and cold that are created by it are right next to one another. And and they're separated by a bunch of semiconductors. Now, as a general rule, things that conduct electricity also yeah, conduct yeah. heat. <laughs> so uh, if you imagine this thing being uh, fed by pulses rather than direct current, say you give it 60 amps for a tenth of a second and then nine tenths of a second of nothing, most semiconductors will tolerate that. That's... You know, as, as long as nothing blows like a fuse during the tenth of a second. Well, during that nine-tenths of a second when nothing else is happening, the hot and the cold are going, hey, brother. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing insulating us from one another except a bunch of semiconductors that don't insulate us very well. Okay. So uh, these things tend to get used for certain specialty applications. Uh one thing that is mentioned in every article that I looked at when I was reading up on this is the PCR reaction that amplifies DNA. Hmm. It requires very accurate, time-precise thermal cycling. So they use these things because these things can heat as well as cool. Uh, you'll notice there's a red lead and a black lead here. And if you apply the red to positive and the black to negative, like most normal people who have ever worked with electricity will, then the side with the logo the, on it is the side that will get cold. But you can reverse the polarity of the electricity, and the sides will reverse. Okay. The, the cold side will get hot, and the hot side will get cold instead. This is why a lot of those little camp refrigerators will say they can also be used as warmers. There's a little switch you flip, and it flips the polarity, and instead of heating, you know, instead of cooling, and then the heat sink getting hot on the outside, it'll warm the interior, and the heat sink on the outside will actually get cold, and moisture will condense on it. And that generally fucks everything up. They don't tell you about that. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, but the main thing is like, why isn't every this 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 transducer? The reason that I destroyed this transducer playing around with it is that it only cost me about a dollar. Okay. Now, admittedly, that was on the surplus market, but this is a very standard transducer. Uh, so, say I wanted to make a central air conditioner for my house out of these things, I would need about a thousand of them to get the level of thermal transfer that the gas cycle 
devices do for a, a heat pump. Uh, but again, uh, yeah, and it would be wonderful. There's no moving parts. There's nothing to fail. They're much more reliable. The main problem is I would not like the electric bill. Yeah. Because it would take four times the electricity that my gas cycle refrigeration system does to get the same amount of cooling. Um, that is a that is one of those things. Like I know we've talked about the blue LED, how that was the holy grail of the electronics industry for many years. Getting one of these that doesn't leak heat and is more efficient is on that level. Okay. There are people working on that as we speak. Uh, and I suspect the day will come when they will succeed. Okay. Probably by leapfrogging the problem. Just like, you know, when the blue LED came, it wasn't blue. It was ultraviolet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so one day someone will figure out how to use the Peltier effect in a way that is more electrically efficient and we won't have moving parts except for the fans in our refrigeration systems anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, top men are working on that. Our, our finest men. Now, <laughs> now how does this, how does this transfer? Where's the, you know, it's like well, those memes where it's like how science works and it's like input, then black box of magic and then output science. Where does thermal mm -hmm. vision well, uh, one of the places that these are used already is in thermal vision, because if you are building a forward-looking infrared unit, or if you are building uh, a telescope that needs to take long exposures without corrupting the image with thermal noise, then you have to cool the sensor okay. or the film. And they use these for this, because there's no vibration. Okay. Uh Energy efficiency isn't all that important in those applications yeah. because it's a small thing. What's much more important is that you're not creating vibration. It's small. It's lightweight. You can you can put one of these in something that you can actually hold up with your hand like yeah. that, you know, and uh, and that is actually what they they use it for. Uh, and the the only main difference between a FLIR camera and a normal video camera is to cool sensor this is this is cooling the sensor so that the infrared isn't getting garbled into noise so you can you know basically look at this very low level signal they what they'll do is they'll put a filter in it blocks out the visible light yeah so all all the sensor sees is the infrared but a normal sensor that's not being cooled will generally just see noise okay and when you do that you put one of these on it chill it down to minus 50 Celsius, and then you get a coherent image in the infrared. That's really the only difference between a FLIR camera and a normal black and white uh, television camera. Okay, so something like, um, yeah, the energy efficiency isn't as important when it's something like a Hubble telescope or a fucking mountaintop right. observatory. It's like, yeah, no, this thing's a money sink, but we're doing it for scientific advancement, and it's okay. Yeah. I get that. Let's, if we shifted to... Honestly, probably should have got Dale for this podcast. But someone was like, you, "But really, right? Delta Force." Like, I mean, I remember asking my buddy Don. Who well, was and, the, and, and another thing about it, of course, is that that's completely silent. It doesn't make noise. That too. I remember asking my buddy Don, who's a combat marine. I was like, "Don, do you guys use thermal vision?" And he burst out laughing. He was like, "No, Dale and those guys get that." 
And he was like, he picked up, he showed me this picture of a scope, right? And he goes, that's like two times my salary. I had no idea. I mean, I know there's different levels of scopes and stuff. I didn't know that. I remember asking one of my friends who's fucking yeah. loaded. And he was like, no, well, when you, can't. you When you get to the high end, there are also special sensors. Uh, you Probably can put one of these on a regular silicon sensor, the very same sensor that you would have on a normal vis visible light video camera, mm -hmm. and turn it into a halfway decent uh, infrared camera. But there are other semiconductors that don't really work that well at all in visible light, but work better for like infrared and all. Those are very expensive because there are no economies of scale. So that's the sort of thing that he was talking about. Okay. Um, so for someone like a Dale or a, a Delta Force unit or a SEAL Team 6 unit, yeah, they're using shit that's silent, and mm -hmm. they're obviously the tip of the spear. I mean, Dale explained to me that the reason why SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force are called Tier 1 is really the... I mean, yeah, they recruit the best of the best of the best, but it's also the, the important distinction is, is they're technically always at war, meaning unlimited budget, which is right. why you look at something you say, yeah, you go, whatever you want, man. You whatever. It was you... invented yesterday. It turns out to be useful. They have it. <laughs> oh, a thousand percent. Oh, no. Dale told me. He's like, oh, yeah, no. Like, put you on a put you on a plane and fly you to Germany to go learn how to, you know, a wield a knife yeah. by some expert. I mean, it, it, but the point is, is so. And of course, you're not going to have economies of scale if that's the tip of the spear, guys, and not a million-man army. But even then, so I mean, what is so? It's got to be battery-powered or something. But that even that that's that's very power-intensive, right? That's not my that's not yeah, my this, phone. This 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 device draws six amps at twelve volts. This is and and this is a very typical transducer for this kind of application. This is this is so standard. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, now, you will see these. One of the you know, one of the things I'll tell you. One of the application use cases for thermionics, rather than gas transfer things, is weird shapes. If you've got something like a small vessel containing chemicals, like those PCR reactions, uh, you can take these junctions and wrap them around it to create a cooling surface with a particular profile that's not possible with a, a gas-based refrigeration system it's extremely difficult to engineer something like that so uh yeah uh but but six amps is not uh something to laugh at you know if you're going into combat and you're depending on this thing to give you your night vision you're talking about a fairly fat battery pack strapped to your ass yeah to power this thing for more than a few minutes yeah. Uh, because that's, uh, because it's not very efficient. Let and so, so they will tend to weigh the, the ins and outs and ups and downs of it and all there's, uh, you know, it's like, you told me recently, everything is compromises. Well, yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, so whether to use something like this and how to engineer it, uh, is, is always an interesting set of choices and and when you get into those applications like night vision for snipers and and, and military guys that's all super specialized because those guys are thinking about how long will the batteries last how, how, how heavy they are they how, how how much of a hassle is it does that create because this thing has a hot side 
Okay. So part of the cost of making the cold side cold is that it's generating heat on the other ceramic plate. You've got to get rid of that. Now, in those little camp refrigerators, there's a little fan. Yeah. Just like the one in your computer. Uh, in a combat situation, that might not be such a good idea. So you've got to figure out how to get rid of that heat. And if the other guy has flare... I was about to say, you're giving off a big thermal... <laughs> the first thing I've been Are thinking you? with all this is just how... F and as you know, you're there every night. I was just thinking of, no wonder I can't find a fucking thermal scope in Tarkov. Because this is not <laughs> this is not shit you can just pick up in a fucking backpack. No. It's, there's there's uh, a it's... support system for it. Yeah, there's a low level where, yeah, you can almost like, yeah, you can you almost literally go into Walmart and get an infrared cam. Okay, uh, if not Walmart, then yeah, go to Amazon and and they have a tier, which is basically the consumer stuff, with the cooler attached to the sensor so that it's more sensitive. Yeah, you know, so, so so that you don't get the noise on it. Maybe a filter to block out the visible light, and you can get pretty good with that. That's uh, the. In fact, when the cops are going by illegally cruising with the FLIR that they're not supposed to be using to see if you have a grow house, that's what they're using. Yeah. Uh, they they don't have the good military stuff. Uh, the the good military stuff is designed from the ground up for that with all yeah. the thermal principles and everything. Uh, and I'm sure Dale could pick up. a thing and tell you in about three seconds whether it's the real deal or the consumer crap uh, uh but the uh you know and then there's also of course always the um the tolerances the you know the quality of the build stuff like that you know there's a grade that you can easily buy as a consumer that they make. Sure. It's like, you know, check your air conditioner system to see if it's leaking heat and stuff like that. But if it's, you know, if you're going to war against other guys who might also have FLIR systems, then it's like, how do we get rid of the heat without making ourselves into a freaking beacon for yeah. the guy who also has a similar also. system? Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> because, it, you know, because that's part of the problem. And, and part of the problem, though, uh, these uh, semiconductor systems can only generate about a 50 degree Celsius temperature difference before, uh, you know, and part, because part of the problem, uh, in, in addition to the leakage, uh, because you're making the hot and cold very close to one another without any thermal insulation between them, uh, you're also dissipating heat just because electricity is flowing. So if, if you, if it wasn't a thermal junction at all, and you had 12 volts, six, six amps going through it. You'd be, you would be generating 60 watts yeah. of heat, yeah. okay, which you have to get rid of. So uh, if you actually want to create, you know, if, if you want to liquefy a gas, for example, then you are looking at a much more complicated system where you're having to use thermal cycles and refrigerants because uh, these things just aren't up to it. Um, I imagine that you. I would imagine, hmm. So I'd imagine if you're in Delta or or, or DevGrew, you've probably got there's probably a, a, a there's a window that you use it. You probably don't you probably don't have it on the entire time you're going to the whatever the compound. Maybe you turn it on when you're fucking scoping it out or actually searching through it. But then I would imagine there's probably it's, pro it's probably cheaper to have like a like a like a, a drone over. Yeah, you're breaking up a bit, Tommy. Are you there? Roger, you there? Yeah. Yeah, your image is frozen. Yeah, 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 you're 
breaking up there for a second. Oh yeah, I, your internet connection is unstable. Thank. Damn it, Zoom. Thanks. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can. Uh, I can. Start. Uh, yeah. It, they, it'll uh, fix. Yeah. It'll fix. He's back, Raj. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, it's fucking. Zoom it's, never zoom, did that before. No, zo zoom's, a, no, zoom's a piece of shit. Would disregard it. Um, I wonder if. Um, yeah, that's yeah that, but that's one of the things you would have to factor in is is that you might if you're going into war with one of these machines and you don't have any support uh, to 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 refresh things, then you have a certain amount of usage. You probably you cycle can... it through other people on the team. Hey, you scan this building, and then when we get up yeah. to it, I'll use my battery, and then on our way out, you use your battery. And Or yeah. you have overhead with a plane with something where there's own power source where it's got thermal, and then maybe it tags it with IR or something. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, that's going to be part of the strategy is, is that it's it's like bullets. You yeah. have a limited amount of resources. Uh, you know, it's not just like... Uh, an optical telescope where you can put it in your pocket and a week later, you know, however much yeah. you want to use it, it's still there a week later. You, you're going to have a battery there. It's not a knife, if you can't, yeah. yeah, if you can't replace or recharge it, then, you know, it, eventually it becomes a basically a doorstop. Now, so, now diminishing returns, how, how great does the temperature differential have to be? before are you before you're you're putting so much energy to get an extra couple degrees celsius and how much is that clarifying the image uh infrared sensors that i've looked at generally want somewhere around minus 20 c uh they uh they don't need to be super cold uh again it depends on what you're looking at uh the james webb space telescope in its original form, uh, before all the delays, was uh, its optical sensor was going to be cooled by a block of frozen solid hydrogen. Jesus fuck. Okay. Uh, solid now, hydrogen. Solid frozen that's a, solid hydrogen. That, that's not a. Those aren't <laughs> words that are normally paired together. No, they are not. It's like gaseous <laughs> titanium. Yeah. Uh, now, what happened is because of the delays, uh, they came out. Uh, they came up with a gas cycle system that uh, is uh, has better longevity, and because it's a module in the telescope that they were able to replace and upgrade before they launched it, they came up with this new system that does not involve the block <coughs> of solid hydrogen. There are other satellites that have gone up with blocks of solid hydrogen. It's it's not the first. Mm -hmm. There uh, there have been other infrared space telescopes that that's the technology that they used. Uh, needless to say, it 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 requires quite a rad cooling yeah. system to make a block of hydrogen gas. Yeah. Now does solid. the does the block of yeah that's got that I mean that's fucking that's insanely like. It, thermodynamically inefficient to create that <laughs> when, when it gets into space does it still need to be cooled or does the vacuum of space provide enough cooling you obviously get have to have solar shield no the, the the vacuum of space turns out to be very good at insulating things so guess, yeah it's, by definition yeah you're right the, the trick the trick is getting it into space without, without evaporating it first because uh, it's got to go through launch which, which itself involves... is just fucking fire and friction <laughs> yeah jesus uh, 
Uh, but it's been done. It's a thing that they've 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 used before. But uh, for web, they they came up with something that they realized would work even better because they have a continuous source of solar power with the solar panels. Uh, so they, they they were able to come up with something the same size that would work better. So that's no one that would have been the tentpole on Webb's longevity in space. In fact, you know because eventually the block of hydrogen would evaporate, and you don't have an infrared sensor anymore. And yeah. you'd either Webb have to is service infrared. it or yeah, yeah, and it can't be serviced because it's out like three times the distance to the moon. So oh okay, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, you didn't know that. No, well, I know. I know. Well, cause we well, we <laughs> sent up the, we sent up astronauts to service the Hubble. Yeah, but Hubble's in low Earth orbit. I just figured Web, it was the same fucking. All right. Webb is at a Lagrange point oh, between Jesus the Earth Christ. and the Sun. Even I knew. Okay, even I know what a Lagrange. Point. I didn't know it was there. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah no. So it's fucked. It's over. It's yeah. So it's like over a million miles away. Oh and, fuck uh, that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. No one. No one is ever servicing the James Webb. Space. And yeah, this is like I was a. Astonished that they were able to make the damn thing work because it's like there's no way to service it and they didn't even start to deploy the thing until it was halfway to its destination and there were like almost 200 single points of failure any one of which would have just wrecked the mission it would have it would have become useless if they had failed uh i was i was astonished that they were able to actually deploy the thing and you know it's yeah you know, when you consider the things that have gone wrong with other missions like like the mirror error on Hubble oh yeah and Hubble has had to be serviced several times like even beyond that yeah uh, you know that you know they put Webb out there it's like no one will ever go service the Webb telescope it's, it's by the going time to it's serviceable it's it's its capabilities it's, will be ancient even if you could get to it. It's not designed, you know, because they thought about that. Well, maybe we should make it serviceable in case we get them more high, you know, altitude. And they and they 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 consciously decided not to. It's, it's like if you tried to service it, you would probably fuck up the heat shield. Oh, it, it's it's like they. It's kind of a modern take on if you want to take the islands, burn the boats. Yeah, it's like this it, is it, no one, no one's ever seen this again. It either works or it don't, and. Yeah. If it don't, well, we're all out of a job. But uh, you know, they made they made it work, and it's amazing. And it's like so, yeah. Instead of a block of frozen hydrogen, they've got this uh, really incredibly engineered little refrigeration system in that bay instead. Um, so that won't be it. So that means the tent pole on Webb's longevity will probably be uh, propellant. Because the Lagrange point uh, that it is at is not stable, so it needs to be periodically nudged to keep it there. Wait, what did you say about the propellant? Sorry, I had a brain fart. Uh, the Lagrange point that it's at is not stable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if it not, if it if it drifts away, then the tendency is to drift further and further away instead of to be nudged back by gravitational forces. So it needs propellant in order to maintain its station. Gotcha. And eventually it will run out. That That is now the tent pole. Originally they were thinking the tent pole would be the hydrogen, the hydrogen. block. Uh, but, uh, how, you know. That, that's kind of odd that they ever even then considered the hydrogen block. I mean, Well, how, when how, they first designed it, they didn't have anything else. That, oh. was it. that was it. Oh, okay. The, uh, that would have just the been the, that would have been the lifespan of it was the hydrogen block, right? 
Yeah, okay. the uh, the possibility of of doing a, a gas cycle refrigerator for the thing was something that was engineered while they were waiting because the shuttle had been grounded and all this, and then the missions were backed up, and it was you know backed up fifteen or twenty years. It was basically in storage, and uh, they were like during that time, someone came up with this idea that's like, well, you know, we can actually build a gas cycle refrigeration system for this thing instead of using the block of hydrogen, and uh, that will make it, you know, give it a better lifespan. Uh, so now the uh, the tent pole on it is the propellant that holds it stationed at the Lagrange point. That in itself has got to be a weird influential factor on these, like, mega science projects of the amount of time it takes to get this thing out and ready. You'll always be tempted to say, well, let's upgrade it because this new thing just happened. Yeah, oh, yeah. And you can upgrade yourself into eternity. Well, the original uh, computer on the Hubble was like equivalent to an Apple II. And one of the upgrades that was done to it was they upgraded the computer to the equivalent of a 386SX, uh, which had been space rated uh, in the interim because it was delayed so much. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the shuttle itself originally launched with a computer that was about equivalent to an Apple II. And one of the upgrades that was done on the shuttles in the later flights was they got a glass cockpit and a much more advanced computer system um so yeah computers in particular for spacecraft the the computers on the voyagers are powered by rca 1802s uh in the 70s those were available in a technology called silicon on sapphire which was very radiation resistant. And so quite a few spacecraft were made with those. Uh, if you were a programmer and you look at the specifications for the 1802 and how it works, oh my God, it is like such a primitive training wreck. It is right. unbelievable. But you have to have, to have something that can survive radiation, right? Uh, but it was a very robust, bust technology that had been space rated you know like in 1973 or four you know it's, it's like it was like one of the first microprocessors that was rated for use in outer space uh in high radiation environments they they actually made a version of it like i said that's uh in, instead of being on silicon it's, it's you know they deposited a silicon film on a sapphire wafer and then etched that and they determined in laboratory conditions. Because, of course, in that era, also, people were interested in radiation hardening for other reasons. Uh, so uh, RCA actually paid some attention to that. And they well, created this thing. And so it was used in quite a few spacecraft uh, until later designs got space rated. Well, that's the interest in gallium arsenide was for strategic defense mm -hmm. initiative. Well, a lot of that was superior performance because oh, they okay. knew that uh, you know, gallium arsenide actually is much more fragile than silicon in almost every respect, but it's uh, it has better switching isn't, properties. Isn't, for... But isn't it like immune to like EMP or some shit? No, no. Okay, it's it's just faster. But why is it? Why? What's the space rating for? Well, it wasn't about space rating so much as it was about uh, getting enough computational acuity 
in a short amount of time to deal with all these things that are flying at you at you know very high velocity that's a good point that's also what strategic is for that's a, that's a very that's a very that's the other half yeah. of sdi that's a good point touche yeah yeah um, uh actually actually they found out that uh gallium arsenide chips break in half if you look at them sideways uh so uh you know one of the things is that you know you may remember the cray supercomputer mm -hmm. uh the uh the guy that uh ran that company he, he intended to come out with the third generation cray computer that would be based on gallium arsenide semiconductors uh and he couldn't make it work they uh ended up you know <laughs> while while he was working on it silicon leapfrogged him just by becoming so small and and dense and i got to imagine other something like the fragility of it's probably space is probably a great place for that cuz no one's touching it yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. if you, if you can get it there without breaking it, remember that, that, launch. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, kind of getting a crash course and just like, yeah, space is hard. Like, space is hard. It's yes. fragile. Okay, <laughs> it's super. You gotta keep it cold. All right. Um, yeah, but then you gotta put it on a rocket. <laughs> yeah. Now, now it's like now. Yeah, we had a discussion about semiconductors before, and and so I said one one of these days, uh, we're gonna figure out how to use diamond. And that's going to trump everything because it's like a thousand times faster than silicon. It's thermally I'll be conductive. able to run teardown at 120 frames per second and, and not have 4K and and 4K and not have to use the vacuum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the true um, that's the true measure of a fucking diamond chip. Is can Tommy take down the World Trade Center with the mega gun and yeah. and, and no uh, and no vacuum? Yeah, well, because it's it's physically tough. It's thermally conductive, so it's easy to cool, and it's like a thousand times better than silicon in its electrical properties as far as switching. So it's like, yeah, everybody wants to do that. Yeah. It's just this little teeny problem with fabricating things. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, it, much like space is hard, it's like, well, it's diamond. <laughs> yeah. If you look at a hardness scale, it's on like, <laughs> it's like feathers. It's the hardest to, damn yeah. thing it's out It's like there. on a scale from <laughs> feathers to diamonds, and it's like, oh, what's the... So... Thermal, <clears throat> to pivot from something like night vision or a thermal scope on a gun, not night vision, excuse me, thermal vision or thermal vision on, on a gun, something like on a UAV, a surveillance capability, mm -hmm. or even like an NRO or a National Geospatial Agency satellite, are what are the challenge? Now, okay, so let's not even let's not even forget the satellites because you got to do launch. Something like a UAV. Mm -hmm. are, are there? What are the I would imagine it's your own power source. You can probably be a bit bulkier. Yeah. It doesn't need to be quiet. You're on a fucking jet. Well, you know, again, if you want to put night vision on a quadcopter, then you're you're using uh, Peltier junctions. Okay. Uh, there, your limitation is going to be battery life, but your limitation is battery life anyway to power the motors. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, you have the advantage. It doesn't create vibration. It's small. You know, you only have to make it exactly the size of the sensor. This is this particular sensor is actually way oversized for night vision because the sensor is generally quite a bit smaller than 40 by 40 millimeters. So that's a different application. Um, and that, so that means it's not going to be drawing six amps at 12 volts. It'll, you know, it'll be smaller. It'll be drawing less. Now, on the other hand, you have to provide a place for the heat to go on the hot side. Do you use a fan? 
Do you just have a heat sink with veins waving down? Mm. Well, it's a flying quadcopter. You're, you've yeah. got blowing air going there anyway. There are heat pipe things that you can use to maybe exploit that. Uh, I don't know exactly what they do, but it's it's one of those things. It's natural marriage to use that technology to cool the infrared sensors if you're making a UAV and, and what you want to do is see things in the dark. I know later models, later, like the 60s, of the B-52 had had entrance points around the cockpit, and that was they used that to cycle the, the heat from the computers. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they were probably using gas systems for that. They probably weren't using thermal, you know, uh, thermia, yeah, junctions. I mean, That's... I mean, just in, I mean, in general, just heat dissipation. I mean, you already yeah. have a Felt-A junctions medium. are junctions are kind of weird because Seebeck uh, discovered that you would get a voltage when two dissimilar metals are in contact, and you have a hot or cold thing going on in eighteen twenty one. Eighteen. 21 and uh <laughs> time out real quick because i do want to get into this i gotta go piss um <laughs> roger tell everyone where to find the book and then i want to get back into these guys because I, n- I remember you, you said that last night on the gaming stream uh, okay yeah if you would like a uh paper copy of my book which i have under a bunch of stuff over here someplace here we go uh like this yes okay um this is the Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, Tommy's favorite novel. Uh, I encourage you to go out of your way to Lulu, L-U-L-U dot com, and buy it from them. Uh, it will be the same price as if you buy it from Amazon. Uh, the contracts that were signed to make it available from Amazon forbid Lulu to undersell everybody else. So they have to charge you the same price. But if you buy it from Lulu, I get a lot more of the money, uh, like six bucks instead of a dollar fifty. So that would be kind of nice. On the other hand, if you got a gift card or something like that with Amazon and you'd rather get it there, or if you want to get it from your Kindle, that's fine. You know, it's the paper copy that's uh, the big thing where I get a lot more money if you get it from the publishers of source, the, you know, the from Lulu instead of Amazon. Uh, on the other hand, I get most of my revenue from Amazon, so if you want to buy it from them for whatever reason, I don't hold it against you or anything, that's fine, too. You know, it's... Uh, enjoy the book that's um and if you want to get it for your kindle or for some other ebook format then amazon's fine for that because it's all the same there they are the publisher of origin because they're kindle amazon okay uh but it's uh, available from all the usual suspects and uh as uh, a few people seem to have And with that, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, eighteen twenty-one. Who were the guys you mentioned them last night during the stream? Seebeck. Thomas Seebeck discovered what uh, we would now call thermocouples, and the Seebeck effect, which is when you have dissimilar conductive materials in contact. And you apply a hot-cold gradient across them, it creates a voltage, uh, which we use to this day to measure t- temperatures. That's if you want to measure the temperature in your kiln 
uh, you know, or your, you know, metal forge or something, then thermocouples is pretty it, pretty much it. Uh, I've done that myself because I have a hobby kiln that I've tried a few experiments with. Um, in 1834, uh, French watchmaker and part-time physicist Jean-Charles Althaus Pelletier found out that the effect works the other way. You can apply the voltage across that junction, oh. and one side will get hot and the other will get cold. 1830. 1830, yeah, this is like, what you know, 1834. Fuck? This is like, yeah, it was just like just discovered yesterday. Uh, the difference is that these effects are really, really um, obscure. They're, they're subtle unless you use semiconductors. Uh, and okay. that was discovered in the 20th century, that you could actually make somewhat efficient Peltier and Seebeck junctions. Okay, um, so it's kind of the, it's kind of on the shelf. It was like it, yeah. there's an effect. We can't really do shit with it. But yeah, well, you could do you could do measurement. Now you got to remember that the uh, you know a, a metal metal uh, junction creates an output voltage on the scale of millivolts. That's you know you know the the Seebeck effect. Now. You have to also remember, though, that it is the Seebeck effect that is powering the Voyager spacecraft and the Curiosity rover. That when whenever you have a spacecraft with an RTG nuclear power system, the way that they turn the nuclear energy into electricity is with thermocouples being driven backward. And they can get away with that because nuclear energy. Yeah, <laughs> They've got lots. They've got copious, and lots. yeah. they got energy yeah. to spare. They have very high temperatures to work with, yeah. which is what you need to make a metal-metal junction somewhat efficient. Um, to get that kind of effect at lower temperature differentials, though, then that's where semiconductors come in. And it's in the 20th century that the semiconductors have been discovered. And they're not silicon. They're these weird things like bismuth telluride that happen to work really well for this thermal transfer bullshit. Uh, and uh, they, uh, but again, you know, they have the problem of the, the, the lack of thermal insulation because it's not even that the thing is only three, two millimeters across. The actual junction is just nanometers. And so it's creating hot on one side and cold on the other but they're nanometers apart and they're separated by something with no thermal insulation at all. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons that they're not very efficient. Uh, they're, you know, and, and as I said earlier, top minds are working on improving that. Uh, and I suspect that when they get it, it's going to be like when the uh, ultraviolet LED was discovered, it's going to change the world because... Uh, if, if you could do that, then you have all of these refrigeration systems with compressors and gas lines and coolant that is all noxious to the ozone layer Theon. and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and theoretically, you should be able to make these things way more efficient than a gas cycle system, you know, with moving parts that yeah. wear and, and, and yeah, all less points of, of failure. Yeah, you know, check valves and all this shit. Probably uh, seems like a limiting reagent to space travel and space colonization, right? You'd you'd want shit with less moving parts. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and they use this stuff in space. Yeah. That's, uh, that, you know, yeah. again, because for one thing, you can use nuclear power there uh, in ways that you wouldn't on Earth. Because you're, well, for one thing, you're building a Mars rover. You're not building nine billion of them. Uh, <laughs> so you can you can collect enough plutonium-239 yeah. <laughs> to, to build an RTG for it. Uh, and, and you can run it at 2,000 Celsius and you know get the power that you need out of it uh runs at 2000 celsius oh yeah they're they're it's weird it's it's nuts the the temperatures that are used in in like spacecraft rtgs uh what does rtg mean radio thermal generator gotcha yeah uh and 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 the difference between an rtg and a reactor is that uh, an RTG is just a block of nuclear material that is decaying. Yeah, who, who, it's not yeah. actually a who nuclear cares? reaction. Who cares about yeah. the shielding? If it goes wrong, who fuck cares? Yeah, it's four billion miles from <laughs> yeah, here. Fuck so off. It's like, Chernobyl. Oh no, whatever. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You wouldn't want to be anywhere near the pioneer. You know, the pioneer of the Voyager spacecraft because they're, you know, that. Uh, but uh, you know that doesn't matter. You know, you have the best shielding at all. You know, you know. Millions and millions, billions of miles of billions space between you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but you, so so you can use this ridiculous temperature and this ridiculous particle flux. Uh, and the RTG isn't actually doing a nuclear reaction like a like a fission reactor where you are doing fission. And you know, so all you're doing there is waiting for natural radioactive decay. And you're using the energy that that creates. Uh, one of the guys who was one of the managers there on, on the Manhattan Project jokingly said he wanted to hold the core for Fat Man in his hand to uh, make sure he's getting good weight, right? Okay. Well, it was warm. Oh. It's always warm. It the the core for Fat Man, you know, the core of uh, I mean, it's just a it's a plutonium sphere, and it's not even engineered to be a radiological device until it's compressed. But just sitting there just in sitting your hand, there. it's warm. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. So an RTG is designed to be hot perfect from that for, effect. perfect for spit no moving parts in that it's just a fucking brick of heat it's lethal but who gives a shit it's a billion miles away exactly perfect uh, for, it's perfect for space exploration yeah now the soviets have put a few nuclear reactors in space actual nuclear reactors as soviets uh, do well yeah uh, because they did uh some of these side scanning radar satellites uh, for their spy program that needed more power. And uh, so they actually put some satellites up. And the one that crashed in Canada uh, back in the 90s was one of those. Uh, and it sprayed radiation all over the fucking landscape. They're, they still talk about that. Um, which is the other problem. At least the thing with RTGs is they can be kind of, they, they can be pretty well hardened. The uh, 
there was an RTG in the Apollo lunar lander, and Apollo 13's lunar lander ended up in the Pacific Ocean. So there's an RTG at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. You win but, some, you lose some. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know there was one on the lunar lander. Yeah, I... Uh, there was a particular thing that they needed it for. There wasn't one on the service module, but uh, there was an RTG on the lander. Uh, I think it may have even been... It wasn't for raw electrical power because they had uh, fuel cells for that. Yeah. Uh, no, they had batteries. The fuel cells were in the service module. That was what went kaboom in Apollo 13. Uh but there was something they had it there. I, I forget what the details were, but I know that was one of the things about the lander going in the Pacific was, well, you know, there's a radiothermal generator. Yeah, it's the middle of the, the Cold War. war. They're like, yes, fucking grow yeah. up. <laughs> well, they also lost one in the Himalayas trying to spy on China, using it as the power source for a, uh, what was supposed to be a spy thing in the Himalayas. And uh, it got caught in an avalanche and... Uh, I don't think they ever found it either. And it's in the headwaters of the Ganges River. Those are the things that's just better to not know about. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like the, the hydrogen uh, bomb in the swamps in Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> just pretend it's not there. Just don't yeah. think about it. Just, yeah. We just go. Even though I just ruined that for everyone, bud. <laughs> it's one of those things we just don't think about. Um I was you know, say, you want some while you lose a hydrogen bomb. I you win, like you win some, you lose some. It's part of yeah. growing up, right? It's, we all have that moment. You know, your first kiss, your first argument, with you know, your first hydrogen bomb you lose. It's part of growing up. Yeah. Um, I was thinking RTG in the in the in the lunar lander. Maybe that's just like the fail safe beyond all fail safes to keep the astronauts warm. No, there was something particular. They were using it to get an uh, electrical. Uh, service but it wasn't the main source that's, i would have to look weird. it up but I, I just i do remember that it was one of the worries was that there was an rtg on it uh whether it was for heat or electricity that's got to be like uh, a fail that's, i mean that that just seems like the battery that will never shut down if all else fails well it was that was that was the thing uh with rtgs is that they will produce by their nature that. they can't shut down yeah you can't shut them down. There is no shutting but, down. It just is. Yeah. Uh, well, and if you'll remember too, in the movie in in The Martian, there's this whole you know thing where yeah uh, they find them. The, yeah. Digs up the I was, RTG. I was thinking of that earlier. Like, yeah. There's a whole chapter that says don't dig up the RTG while he's going out there with a shovel to dig up the RTG because yeah. he needs it for the heat. Yeah. Uh, of course, they in in that one. Uh, uh, Andy Weir gave them magic radiological protection. He yeah. basically invented in his mind this plastic material that was perfect radiation shielding that doesn't actually exist. It's DARPA's most advanced technology there is, called plot armor. It is yes. the most advanced <laughs> nano nanostructure ever. It's, it's called plot armor. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, so yeah, uh, so but you know these effects, these thermal effects were invent, you know, they were discovered uh, in the early 19th century, and raised to a higher art when semiconductors started to be perfected in the 20th. Uh, but uh, they're not a new thing. Uh, you know, we've been using. 
these effects, particularly in space, where things like small size, no vibration, uh, fail, you know, failure modes and all are a big consideration. Uh, and as with LEDs, which followed a similar trajectory, a lot of people are expecting that one day we'll figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't, you know, that, you know, that actually works better than gas cycle refrigerators. And that is one of those things that will change the world. Just like, uh, you know, if you went back to the year 2000 and buttonholed an engineer and said, oh, yeah, I'm from 2023. Do you realize we don't even make incandescent light bulbs anymore? We use LEDs for everything, for area illumination. He would look at you and just say, pull the other one. No, yeah. LEDs can't do that uh, because in that day they couldn't. Yeah. Uh, then one day they could. Yeah. And within a few years, literally Changes. within three or four years, everything changed mm. uh, because it was so much better uh, and so much more capable. You know, it's the, you no, know, no comparison. It, yeah. It, it was an inflection point like the, uh, you know, when the internal combustion engine became practical, gotcha. you know, and, uh, you know, one day that will probably happen with refrigeration, solid state refrigeration systems. And then the world would become completely different, particularly in warm climates like this. Um, but, you know, y'all, y'all feel it too. The, the, the difference between New Orleans and Portland is in New Orleans, everyone knows they need air conditioning. Yeah. No one would even buy a house that no. didn't have air conditioning. You know, it's, it's the first, you know, in the North, it's like a special feature. Oh, absolutely. You know, no, no one thinks of it as the first thing because now it's like, well, it's only going to matter for a couple of months in the summer, but during those couple of months, it's going to matter, particularly as the climate gets weirder. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, it's pretty freaking miserable. Uh, you, you don't get the direct overhead insulation that we do because the sunlight is coming like this but you get it for 12 hours a day instead of eight yeah and that that's that's the one thing that hits people from the south the first time you know if you're if you're born and raised on the 30th parallel like i was and you visit a place that's on 40th like you are that's the first thing that hits you it's 10 in the evening. Why is the sun still up? Yeah. Well, it's because the earth is a sphere. <laughs> Which a lot of people that come into my video game streams are still having trouble with. That was fucking, that's another rant for another. But no, you're right. Up here in New England, it's, um. I mean, the whole saga of me getting air conditioning was it like your cataracts. It was just a fucking month-long saga <laughs> up here. And I realized that, you know, I asked other guys in this building, they're like, yeah, we don't have it, but a lot of them don't care. Because they're just like, yeah. my parents built a house five years ago, and they, they didn't put it in. Because it's just such a, it's a non-thing. Yeah. It, it, yeah it, it's something you don't even think of until you realize, oh, wait, this would kind of have been a good idea. Here, it's sort of taken for granted, you know, because, you know, we, we need it like five months of the year minimum. And y'all, y'all need it. I, I need it because I'm, I'm a, I'm a pussy ass bitch and I like my climate exactly as I desire. Y'all, it's not like a, I like it colder in here because I like to, I like wearing long sleeve shirts when I do podcasts and this room produces a lot of heat. Yeah. 
y'all is like you guys aren't bringing it down to 60 because you don't like 70 you're you're keeping it at 70 so you don't fucking have a heat stroke yeah no it's, it's, it's a necessity Next week, nearly every day, it's going to hit mid, mid-90s mid Fahrenheit, oh. and the humidity is going to be between 80 and 90%. What's, what's, that, uh, what's, what's that feel like, then? What, what's, like, the feel factor? It, it's around, yeah, between 100 and 110. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's like, yeah, that with that, and, and let alone cars. Oh. I mean, you, you remember, you know, when we had Richard Rhodes... Uh, and, and I mentioned the thing about, you know, in New Orleans, you know, having your car stop because you're at a stoplight is not acceptable here. No. Because that, that, you know, minute or so while you're staring at the red light and the air conditioner isn't working, the temperature in your car can go up 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, you bunch of clear windows. Fuck yeah, it does. Yeah. It's a, it's a freaking greenhouse. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, you, I love the sunlight in this studio as opposed to the one in my old apartment. I've had to fucking close the blinds since just mm-hmm. I could probably start opening them now that I've got the AC in here, but I had to close it just because the little bit that I got sideways in the in the morning, this room yeah. would get cooking. Uh, yeah, it it'll do it it'll do that, and you can imagine what it's like here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where we're getting the sunlight at a higher angle, more direct, and uh, you know, but we we don't get it for as many hours because the day isn't as long, but. We get, you know, we're 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 getting blasted, uh, and you're not getting it blasted as much as we do, but you're getting it for longer days. In the middle of the summer, you're probably getting as much energy through a window as we get. So, but then, uh, yeah. But that, then I just that, have that, the ambient temperature of being all the way up here is just that itself cools everything down. Yeah, it, it's well. When when it gets to be midsummer, you're going to you're 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 going to have a like probably about six weeks when it's just as miserable as it is here. Yeah, just just from the just from the radiant heat from the sun. From the just, radiant just, heat, yeah, uh, just the thermal, yeah. But it won't be six months. Yeah, we we have that for five or six months a year. Uh, the saving grace of up here is well, I have AC, but even without it, the saving grace up here is you are in Portland, fucking Maine. You're you're a bit, you're a bit high up there. You can just open the windows and just get. And I'm right on the ocean. Yeah. You just get a cool breeze, and then all of a sudden yeah. the the radiant heat isn't. But imagine bad. if you weren't on the ocean, or if you were on the ocean, but you were in I don't know Miami or New Orleans. Which God sense of humor? Why do I interview at those <laughs> medical schools? What the fuck? <laughs> I, I, have you noticed that the only medical schools I interview in were the only schools that are actually farther south than Georgia? <laughs> Coastal. Yeah. Fucking the only schools I got an interview at were the schools that was like, how be- if was that not the universe telling me, don't go. You're not meant to do this. You're not. You go and get to get into New Orleans or Miami, and Georgia's too hot for you. This is the red light. This is the I've engine. I've lived in New Orleans my entire life, and I have no sympathy. Yeah, I know you have no sympathy for me. That, to me, that was just that was the natural <laughs> feedback system of like you are not meant to go here, you are not meant yeah. to go here, Tommy. You are not, yeah, but but uh, but but you do get it. You you will you will get it. You'll yeah. you'll get it probably around you know late July, early August. Yeah, uh, I think is the season. You know, we we get it starting right about now, yeah. and it will be bad through pretty much early September uh, you'll get it for about six weeks around late August you know when it'll be really fucking hot yeah. and 
Uh, and again, you know, people look at the price thing, you know, and, you know, it's like, you know, here it's worth putting in this expensive system yes. that uses a lot of energy and has all these moving parts and shit to keep the temperature reasonable because it's half the year almost. Uh, up north, then you're looking at, well, it's only going to be a month, six weeks. It's like, is it really worth it? Well, t you know, call me three weeks into the hot season and tell me whether well, that's. <laughs> My mom was telling me all this year. She's like, are you going to get an air conditioner? I was like, I'll get it when it gets hot. I was just too busy. And she was like, are you sure you don't want to get it before it gets hot? And I was like, I don't. And then one night I did like a long, long gaming stream. And it was, I think it was the first day I started playing Tarkov, right? I ended up turning it on at like 10 in the morning. And the sun, and I'm never in here in the morning because I go to bed at like 3 or 4. I wake up at noon. I'm never in this room. I'm just, I'm out cold. And like the sun was coming. Through. I was like, what is this? And... I was uh, I was maybe yeah. in the sun for two hours and I ended the gaming stream and bought two air conditioners. I was like, motherfuck this. And not only yeah. and then <laughs> you know and then for this room, you know, as much as I do like the cold, even regardless of that, it's like this room also just cooks. This room's full of yeah. computers. This is like a server farm. Yeah, you also have that going on. And window units are actually pretty good. You know, they uh, they're more targeted. Uh, they're not as efficient as a central air system because mm -hmm. they're not as well insulated. The hot from the cold is a lot closer to one another. Yeah. You know, like I said, the hot the hot end of my central air system is fifty feet from the cold end. In an air, in a window unit, they're two feet apart. Yeah, and I can feel uh, the 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 because I have a portable window unit, so it's just got like pipes going in yeah. there. I, they're hot yeah, and those and those those are less those. Th those are even less efficient because uh, there's some other compromises. Well, if you put that have your hand on the on the fucking thing, you can feel it. So like in yeah. the room that I'm air conditioning, there is like a a pulsing yeah. fucking the waste heat. The waste heat from the actual air conditioning thing itself is going into the room instead of the outside environment because the whole thing is in the room. So you've got to refrigerate that too. Uh, that makes it less efficient, but. It's still it's it's good because it's targeted because you can just say well I'm going to keep this room cool. yeah so you know and we did that for a few years after we moved here uh, the air condition you know when we bought this house the yeah you know, we didn't expect the air conditioner to work it was uh, the outside compressor uh, was on a slab that had tilted and had clearly been flooded many times and didn't look like it could possibly work. It, uh, it had turned out that it actually did. It uh, wasn't very efficient. It was an old model. But uh, when it finally did break, uh, we waited a couple of years to replace it. We just put window units in the rooms that we used all the time. And we would turn them on when we were using those rooms. Yeah. So that was very energy efficient. It was just also inconvenient as hell. They were noisy. They, you know, they're not very well temperature regulated because at that time, you know, we're going to the early 90s, you couldn't really get a window unit that had an external thermostat. Nowadays, they're making those. Yeah. You know, so you can get a window unit and put a thermostat on the other side of the room. And we'll, you know, turn it on and off, and, you know, keep the temperature regulated. In the early 90s, they, uh, you know, it was like no, you set a dial, and then you went to bed and you woke up freezing. Yeah, uh, no, it was very much yeah. It's you can have it or not have it. <laughs> Do you want the uh, cold or no? It was just, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was still uh, even if you woke up freezing because you know it's like you know you wake up at one in the morning and it's fifty degrees in the room. It was still more efficient than trying to cool the entire house. Yeah. You know? And let's face it, you know you're in you're you're in the bedroom. Yeah. That's the only room that needs to be cooled. 
I have a, I have one for the studio and one for the bedroom. The the big yeah. the living room. The living room's probably like twenty degrees warmer. I don't give a fuck though. The living room is there for me to walk in between here and the restroom. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you get too cold because of the window unit's getting too cold, you can always go in the living room. Well, That's... I wake up cold, and I literally just walk into the living room and start my day. I get my phone and start answering emails, and I'm nice and cozy. Yeah, and then yeah, and then if it ever gets way, way too fucking cold, I'll just open the doors and let the whole place kind of kind of cool down a little bit. It has, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I was going to say, um, I was saying last night, so there's like a little, there's like a little fucking digital thermometer or whatever on the, thermostat in this room and in the other room and i can always just glance at them and stuff and that's how like before i got the acs like you know during the winter here i would like open windows and i would like let it it'd be 10 degrees outside but you open them for five yeah. ten minutes cool your whole apartment down close the windows you're gucci for the night and i would always just watch the thermostats and i've always kind of had fun in this room because i would like close the door and then just watch how quickly it starts to climb and uh, yeah. one thing I've noticed really the last two nights or so during the gaming stream was so with this AC on, it pretty much out, it, this thing just overpowers the gaming computer. It overpowers everything. It just doesn't <laughs> give a fuck. So, like, during the winter, it was this weird balancing game of where I'd open, you'd probably see me. I'd, like, get out of the chair, like, open the window. That would drop down. I'd get it down to, like, 45 in here, close it. <laughs> And then it was, like, this weird fucking, like, steampunk organ system of, like, this would start to get hotter, so I'd open the door, and then that would cool down, and that would close it and open it. was this weird fucking, like, just, like, World War One submarine. And with the AC, though, it's so much stronger. It just completely overpowers everything, except for when I turn on Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> I've noticed that the last two nights. I've, I've, I look over, I'm like, is it getting hotter in here? Grand Theft Auto V causes my gaming computer to outcompete the 10,000 BTU air conditioner. And I've noticed that. Not Teardown didn't do it. Nothing did. Tarkov doesn't do it. Grand Theft Auto V, and when I turn it on and I start gaming, this temperature, this thing will go from 61 to like 66 degrees. It's a fucking... That's I don't know if that's just a bad <laughs> Turns your computer into a space heater. <laughs> it does, though. And it's just like... I mean, it really is just like... I am just like I'm just spiting Mother Nature using an air conditioning to cool down a gaming computer, and it's like not you know. I'm not doing my part, that's for sure. Well, that's uh. Well, you're doing it. You don't have central air, so you know you're not cooling the room that you're not using. Yeah, yeah. That, that so is, that is true. Uh, I mean, it's like yeah. Right now, Elaine's in her office. I'm in this office. We're cooling the entire house. Yeah. So, it's. But we're we're doing it with a more efficient system, so yeah. it's probably not that I've... much worse than if we had window units in the two rooms that we're actually using. And it means that if I need to go on the other side of the house or something, You'll it's not like stepping off. into a sauna. Uh, also down here, if you don't do air conditioning, the air gets really wet. And that, that starts to affect Mold. everything made of wood. Uh, everything not made of metal. Yeah, everything distorts, mold grows, uh, so there's there's that, hmm. uh, and uh, it, it's uh, just uh, you know we were having a discussion about you know moving beyond you know there was a there was a discussion on I think it was daily shows about how in order to be sustainable we have to get the carbon footprint of every human being on Earth on average down to two tons a year and right now the average globally is four tons 
but the average for the United States residents is more like 14. And I was like, we will never get to two tons in the United States. We would have to rebuild our entire society. We would have to remake our infrastructure, our transportation systems. We would have to abandon 100 million single uh, family residences and move those people into uh, apartment blocks where things are more efficient. We would have to come up with, you know, we would have to build those buildings. We would have to come up with transportation systems. We would have to come up with, uh, you know, uh, ways of delivering groceries and the necessities of life and all, which are all a bunch of infrastructure things that existed in the early 20th century. And they were deliberately dismantled because the auto companies bought them and dispersed them and destroyed them yeah. in order to make a market for cars. Got to sell so, cars. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, we're not we're not getting there unless we in, kill everyone. Well, you know, if we don't do that, <laughs> nature might take care of it for us. Uh, yes, yeah. that's... It seems I feel like there's I don't think it's an alien idea at all to assume that there is some natural feedback system in the biosphere. Yeah, it, it's uh, there. There is probably a bad time coming. It is not yeah. going to be a lot of fun to be alive. That's nature uh, loves balance. Well, nature creates balance, whether you want it or not. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> it, it it creates balance. It's not that it just likes balance. No, no, you're it right. No, it, 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 it well, it's like the RTG. <laughs> it's not that it likes heat. It's it is. Yeah, it, it just, just is. Water just fi- yeah. yeah, water doesn't go out of its way to find its level. It just that's what it fucking does. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, and you saw the uh, the uh, dam breakage in Ukraine. I saw it like two days ago. I think that was when my when my day off, so I didn't really fucking. Look yeah. At it. The uh, uh, of course the Russians and the Ukrainians are accusing each other, but just about everybody who's breathing, you know, is agreed that the Russians broke the dam. Well, I would imagine they did. Ukraine's and, dam uh, collapsing, but the fast moving just slowed it as region. So they've got people on rooftops and the whole thing. It's like it's like Katrina, except with people shelling you while they try to rescue you. Jesus, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, fucking the cool, cool. Oh wow, ooh, this is from what's today? So this is from three days ago. The cooling pond at Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is in danger of collapse as a result of the destruction of the... That's the other thing, yeah. The nuclear the power plant might melt, might melt down. So, uh, yeah, let's create the maximum chaos. Well, then it seems like... Well, now it just seems like that was probably the intention. Well, they probably had a lot of intentions. The thing is, the Russians had control of the dam controls, and they overfilled the reservoir. They, they, they didn't release the pressure when the spring melt began, and uh, apparently they were trying to make it as chaotic as possible when they broke the thing. Uh, at least that would be the obvious interpretation of how things went down. Um, because they would never commit a war crime, right? No, they're illegal. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? You wouldn't. Excuse me. You can't do that during a war. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck. Well, I kind of forgot we started on thermionics. Uh, well, we've, got, we've, we've stayed on thermal. I think we've actually done a pretty good job at staying on. For you and me, 
We've yeah. done. I think we've done a pretty sterile, 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 stellar job at staying on on. <laughs> so that was yeah, we haven't wandered too news. far off the original. Compared thing, to the, what uh, you and I normally do, yeah. <laughs> the fact that we've stayed on the general theme of hot and cold and is that, yeah. that I you know I think we deserve a little fucking <laughs> pat ourselves on the back compared to how this normally goes. I think we've done well. Yeah. Um, and we haven't done this for like what, you know, well, our, our last come on since, since Rhodes. AI Rhodes yeah. And, and of course then I was wearing the glasses because I couldn't see without them. <laughs> and that's the thing is that now I can close one eye and close the other. And with either eye closed, I can read all the little shit at the bottom of the zoom screen. One of the weird things is like, you know, it's like if I'm got a drink in my hand and the phone here, and I do this, all of a sudden the phone goes, I can't see anything. Because I'm blocking the eye that's been corrected. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm only seeing the phone through the eye that hasn't been corrected and it's yeah, nothing it's just, but a blur. Just fuck. So it's like, take a drink, don't see anything. Wait, what the? It's like I was just reading something here. God. And that was annoying as fuck. That's, well, Roger's been giving me the same advice that my dad's been giving me for 20 years, and it's don't get old. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. And and the thing is, I'm getting older, younger than most people get old. Uh, there was something my dad said to me. It was like, well, son, you're getting all of the stuff that I got just at a younger age. That's, thanks, dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I got, like, you know, the the... The special cataracts. Usually, when you're diagnosed with cataracts, it'll be like 10 years before they become bad enough that your insurance will cover them. Because hmm. they grow slowly. Yeah. But mine sprinted. You got special ones. <laughs> I got the one type on the back of the lens that grows really quickly. So, I went from not even realizing anything was wrong in December to being legally blind in May. That's wild. Uh, well, like getting your tonsils out. It's over now. Yeah. Well, that was what my optometrist said when he made the initial diagnosis. He said, the good news is that once this is corrected, you will never have this problem again because they physically removed the, uh, the protein lens that your body made, which is what rots, and replace it with something made of some kind of plastic material, which that will never happen again. Great. Yeah, um, the doctor said something to me about that in, like, 2014 when I got my tonsils out. He was like, normally we tell kids, like, you're no longer going to have strep throat and, like, sore throat, and it's going to hurt for, like, 30 days, and then you're good. He's like, you're 23, so, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you've already had. Just, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, well... You know, <laughs> we kind of lied to you about that. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't, I gotta, he's like, I gotta be honest, I don't know why you're doing this now. I was like, this strep throat is so bad. To his, to his credit, I haven't had, I, I, I don't think I've had a sore throat since. Yeah, it's not unknown for tonsils to regrow, uh, but uh, yeah, the crystalline lens in your eye does not regrow. That's yeah. one of those things. It's, uh, it's, it's a mature technology. What's, what's improved about cataract surgery in the last few decades is the techniques they. It's much less invasive than it was, mm -hmm. but it's still, I mean, it's obviously invasive because they're taking out a thing that was grown in your body in a particularly sensitive part 
yeah. of your body and they're removing it and replacing it with something. There's, you know, it's not like LASIK where they just go zap, 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 and nothing ever even touches your eyeball. No, they, they touch your eyeball. Yeah, they go in there and fuck around. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but they also pump you up with benzos and put about four gallons of eye drops in your eye first. And then it makes a wicked cool light show. That's what you were saying. Like, when they're when they're rooting around in there, breaking up the old lens and everything, and yeah, you know, it's like you know, like okay, you can't quite you, you can't see what they're doing because yeah. they're doing it to the thing that you it, use that to sees. see things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's uh, you know, you're you're looking at this and there's all kinds of like colors and lights and shit going on, and it's like. All right, that's cool. Of course, you can't feel anything because it's all numbed up. And uh, then the the doctor, on both occasions, she told me, okay, well, I've removed your cataract, which basically means I removed the lens, the original lens. And then there you go. And the new one, they because they, they do what they, they call a micro incision. In the old days, they would actually cut a flap. They would remove the old lens in one piece and reinsert the new one, and they would make a suture. To hold mm. it together. Uh, now they make what they call micro incisions. It's like basically they they poke a hole and they use a, an ultrasound machine to break up the old lens, which is probably why there's such a good color show there. Yeah. Uh, and they suck it out a piece at a time until it's all gone. And then they insert the new one with an injector. And when they remove the injector, it unfurls, kind Whoa. of like the Hubble, you know, yeah. like, kind of like the web telescope almost. Uh, and uh, so uh they give you the same warnings don't uh do anything you know don't exert yourself don't lean forward don't it's all the stuff that they have always told people who had cataract surgery but it's not really as big a deal as it was when they would you know you would have an incision and a suture and all that stuff uh you know because there's really just a tiny little hole there and the it, it reduces the incidence of uh, complications and stuff. The main thing is uh, when it unfurls and seats itself, they want to make sure that yeah. went right. So you've got the follow-up uh, the next day. Uh, and in both cases, I was able to drive myself to the follow-up. Uh, you know, it was like woke up and it's like, holy shit, I can see. That's that fucking was... wild. Yeah. Um, so you have to wear the eye patch. Uh, they actually, actually what they gave me was this. The jock strap? Plastic. Well, the jock strap was not part of it. The plastic eye shield was what they gave me. The the jock strap was me. Okay. Uh, because what they actually did was they taped it to my face. Yeah. Like this, with a couple of tape. Yeah. Well, I have oily skin. So the first round of eye drops, I have to take the tape off. Yeah. Well, it doesn't stick again. So I noticed that this thing has these slots. Obviously, it was meant to be held in place by a strap. Those cheap fucks. <laughs> just cutting so, uh, well, uh, the thing about that is the strap doesn't hold it quite as well okay. in place. And it digs into your skin because this is rigid. The reason that I bought the eye patch that you have the, is, is it's flexible. Yeah. So it doesn't hurt as much to wear it for 12 hours. Um, but the advantage of this thing is obviously that you can kind of sort of see through it. It's transparent. 
um, which if it's taped to your face is kind yeah. of important because, you know, if, you know, the eye patch, if I really actually need to expose my eye for some reason, I can just go boom. Yeah. And go eye full, drops. Full pirate. And, and put it back. Um, <clears throat> but I'm past all that now. Uh, I still have to wear the eye patch at night through Tuesday. Why, so you don't like itch so. it or something? It's mainly to prevent, you know, the, honestly, I probably don't really need to. It's to make sure that you don't go doing something like this in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any tendency to do that myself. But, uh, yeah, you're not supposed to fuck with your eye while it's healing. So, it's a general rule of you know, thumb. Yeah. So, yeah, they want you to wear something over it for the first 24 hours because that's when the suture is still healing. Mm -hmm. uh, by 24 hours, the micro suture has closed itself. And uh, then, you know, it's just they want you to have something over it at night to make sure you don't unconsciously mess with your eye while you're sleeping. Uh, I don't I don't think I actually have a problem with that. But uh, I one thing about it is like when doctors have done weird things to your eyeball, you do what they say. That's you know, yeah. It's like don't fuck around there. So, yeah, it's it's like you know when you know the hundred and fifty dollar price differential between my eyes was like I, I don't know if I mentioned that to you. Yeah, uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's like and my service manager was like, oh, I would have had to take that up with him. And it's like there's something going on there, and it's like no, rule number one is. When somebody is about to poke a hole in your eye, don't get in an argument with them over $150. It's yeah, not. Say, Thank you, sir. Worth May it. I have another? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't. You don't fucking try to play hardball with the guy operating on um, your spine. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. That it, it, there's nothing to be gained from that. Not it's not like it was like a thousand dollars or something like that. It's like 150 bucks. Yeah, yeah. The actual raw cost, if I had to cover everything myself, I think would have been between two and three thousand dollars an eye. Yeah. Uh, which is not really bad. Uh, it, you know, for an invasive surgery on your on, eye. Yeah. On your eye, uh, it was all done very professionally. It was very coordinated. Uh, I was very impressed with everybody who was involved. Uh, if anybody is ever uh, wondering whether to use Dr. Jennifer Olds out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to have their eye work done, I highly recommend her. Uh, I was very impressed with the professionalism of her and everyone who works with her. Uh, so, and I can see again, which is... Now, you didn't get a thermal... You didn't get a Did thermal get sensor thermal put in your upgrade. eye, which I requested. And by requesting, I, I mean I'm, I, I berated you and yelled at you for a couple of hours one night. But, <laughs> yeah, I said, don't you fucking embarrass me, Roger. And you, Well, the thing is, they weren't working on my retina. See, they would have had to put the thermal transducers in. And, and all that's on the back of your eye. All I hear are excuses. I know. It's, all I hear are excuses, Roger. All I see is a man. As it is, I had to pay 150 bucks more for the second die. What do you want? Yeah, it's... Yeah. I want you to fucking hold others to the level of excellency that I demand. Um, Rog, let's wrap this bitch up. I'm gonna. Well, I gotta, I gotta put these in iMovie, and then I really, I gotta hop on and play some video games, and I guess I'll see you there. Um, Probably so. Yeah, I may, I may have to wind the uh, video stream attendance down a bit after another week or so when things get to be more normal again. We're not, uh, we're not going anywhere. 
It's there. I'll, I'll probably still be checking in in the well, early in the hours. Oh, I say, or hop in on the weekends, man. Or on Friday and Saturday yeah. when I don't have to worry about the next day. Yeah. Because you know, it's been a lot of fun. They're the most fun fucking things ever. They're retarded. Yeah. I was very surprised at how much fun the gaming stream there, is. People watch it and they're like, "What is the point?" I'm like, "It's not the video game. No one. It's not. It's the live <laughs> chat. No one's. No. No. Nobody yeah. gives a shit about the people. Are like, why are you playing Teardown? I'm like, it's the discussion. It's not Teardown. Yeah. It's the. It's yeah. It's a little community and yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Hell. It's fucking fun as hell, man. It, it's it's yeah. Is it, it has become and, such a surprisingly fun aspect of my daily routine. Yeah, and and me too. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just that I can't hang out till one in the morning every morning. You know, when I've got to go to work the next day. I mean, really, the only person <laughs> whose attendance I expect is Monmar because she lives in fucking Australia. Everyone yeah, else, so it's I'm the middle only, of the day for her. Yeah, everyone else, I'm like, <laughs> why are you still up? I do this because I'm I'm my own boss. I don't have to go to bed. Everyone else, yeah. I'm like, why are you? Why are you here? Well, I'm an hour behind you, yeah. so I can. Well, you know, you've for... been out with medical issues. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that was the thing. It's like I was out for three weeks. It's like, yeah, the, you know, the day that I, you know, uh, the, the, the day that I realized it wasn't safe for me to drive, uh, which has now been a month ago, uh, you know, and that just changed my life. Yeah. And, like, you know, I, in fact, I just left a diary on Daily Coast, which has had surprising longevity for something, you know, considering their user base and, how, you know, uh so it was uh it was titled um sorry you're not sick enough yeah. yet yeah and uh you know and one of the things that i said was you know it's like after i got home and told my wife uh i can't drive yeah it's it's not safe uh then i cried for two days hmm. and i'm not ashamed to admit sure. that i i i'm 59 years old and i can't remember ever feeling such a sense of existential despair yeah well, and help, uh, helplessness. Yeah. It, it was sure. like, why is the universe doing this to me? And even though I knew intellectually that it's like, no, what they say is, you know, if you live long enough, this will happen no matter who you are. Uh, but you know, it just blindsided me. It fucks well, it. Did I, ha I mean, you know me. You know I have chronic anxiety. I mean, I had the worst panic attack of my life in February. I literally had my brother and his wife. Yeah. Cancel their I remember date, that. Cancel their date night and pick me up and take me to the hospital. And I had never felt more. I I was too scared to even cry. But yeah, for like a day or two after, my mom came down. Dude, it took yeah. me like a week just to get like my mojo back up just to do this. Because you're like, I'm a 32 year old guy and I'm like, brought to my fucking knees. I had, I had it was such a bad panic attack. They literally put me in a wheel. I couldn't walk. Catatonic. <laughs> Uh, but don't feel bad. I know other people that that's yeah. had, that, that's, that, that's happened to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, sometimes life just is more than you can bear. Sometimes it humbles and, you. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, y y you know, you have to be at least understanding that that can happen yeah. because I mean, uh, I mean, you know, consider it's like, you might be, you know, a Ukrainian citizen. Sure. And then it would be a lot worse, wouldn't it? Jesus. Uh, yeah. So it's, yeah. But, but yeah, you can be just minding your own business and life can throw something at you that you had no expectation was coming. Uh, and you're just like knocked off your perch. And, and if, and if you can, if you can sit with it long enough, eventually it does 
And it helps if you have friends and family who can help you get over it and and, and everything. It's, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of immediate uh, meat life friends. Yeah. That's, I don't have you know, any. I have my, yeah. my, my little brother. Uh, so, and, and I'm an only child. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got my dad. He lives 80 miles from here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and he, he's, he's done what he could. Yeah. Uh, when I needed some support and I've done what I can when he's needed it. Sure. But again, there's a limit to what you can do from 80 miles away. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, uh, you deal with it as best as you can. You know, this is, you know, it's like we, we decided on this life, you know, yeah. we bought this house, we decided to live here and we make our relationships as we do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Life comes up and kicks you in the ass, and you deal with it or not. Uh, I was, you know, I spent the first couple of months of this year being nauseous almost every day. Yeah, I didn't I remember know what that. was going on there. I was finally getting over that, and I missed a bunch of work because of that, because I was leaving early, because I was like, erp. Yeah. All right, you know, I need to go ahead and leave rather than throw up in my co-worker's garbage can again then i'm starting to get over that and then i realize i can't fucking see anything yeah it's like I'm, I'm i'm having to like increase the magnification on my monitor and and wear reading glasses to use the computer which i never did before and then finally i realized that even the reading glasses weren't doing it for the computer and that's my life that's my job yeah. so that was when i scheduled the eye exam and my optometrist was like, oh, yeah, you've got cataracts. And I was like, I'm not even 60 years old. How can I have cataracts? I was like, well, you know, if you live long enough, you're going to get them. And I'm like, well, that's just fucking special. If you live long enough, you're going to die. It's Yeah. It is like, uh, that's no. that, too. Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, hey, you've, you've survived this long. Now, if you've survived all natural causes, well, now your body is going to shut down. And, of course, everybody has advice. It's like, you know, you drink too much. And it's like, I remember, like, I remember when I was a teenager reading, you know, I, you I saw rub this. All, then there's always, like, the, there's always, like, the grandma's advice. Like, no, my grandma swears by it. You got to rub pickle juice on your balls. And it's like, yeah, I thank it's you. Like, I know it's coming from a good place, but no. I, you know, I remember reading an article. I think I was a teenager. And it was, you know, some guy had his 100th birthday and uh, they sent one of the high school kids to interview him, you know, it's like this. Oh, yeah, no, they fucking, they're drinking and smoking thing. all day. No, the kid asked him, what's the secret of your longevity, sir? And he says, son, I credit my longevity to the fifth of Jack Daniels that I drink every night. <laughs> the, my <laughs> a girl I dated for four years, her, her grandfather <laughs> passed away at a hundred, but dude, every day, Fucking brandy, cigar, cinnamon bun for breakfast. I mean, <laughs> fucking. Well, there's a lot to be said for uh, satisfaction, routine, and satisfaction, pleasure. Yeah, predictability. You know, as it's like as, as bad as the, the French smoking for fucking ever, right? Is. You know, uh, yeah, I drink a lot, but you know what? My liver enzyme numbers. I had I had my blood work done right before the cataracts were diagnosed. Because tomorrow I'm meeting my cardiologist for 
checkup that was scheduled before any of this vision shit even started back in December. And, you know, so, so uh, when the December appointment had rolled around, I had been distracted by a bunch of other stuff. A lot of stuff was going on at work, and I didn't realize until too late that it was like, you know, they called me on Thursday, you know, they sent me a text on Thursday. Your, your appointment with your cardiologist is on Monday. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't get the blood work done. So I met him, and he's just like, well, you know, the order's still out there. Just get it done before we meet next time. So I didn't want to have it done while I was having the nausea shit going on. So I waited for that to kind of get better. Uh, so I ended up having the blood drawn in late April. Really, It was right before I went to the optometrist. Uh, and my A1C is still 5.4, so I'm technically not diabetic or even pre-diabetic, although I know I'm pre-diabetic. No one else knows that. Uh, my liver enzymes are a little off scale, but not by much. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, it's why my cholesterol is perfect. I mean, seriously, it's perfect. The stuff that's high, you know, the stuff that's supposed to be high is yeah. high. The stuff that's supposed to be low is low. Uh so it's like, you know, the numbers there say, that, you know, there's basically not a hell of a lot wrong with me. Uh, so that'll be an interesting conversation, I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah, when you, 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 you start to get old. And, and uh, Dad has this thing going with his blood pressure where if he doesn't watch it, it starts to go low. And... Uh, then he goes to the doc because he has white coat syndrome, like I do. He goes to the doctor's office, and they're like, "Oh, Mr. Williams, you're you're doing great. You're maintaining your blood." He's like, "No, you don't understand. I'm in a doctor's office. My blood pressure is normal here because it's low I, when I'm at home." Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Or, or it's no. I, I'll I'll get the I'll get the I'll get the fucking wall. I'll go. I'll be in the ER for a panic attack, and they'll be like, "Well, your heart rate's normal." I'll be like. Well, no. Now I'm in. Now I'm surrounded by doctors, and I know if I fall over, I'm not going to die. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm in a hospital. I'm in a fucking world class yeah. hospital. Your blood pressure well, it, seems it, normal. Well, yeah, because I'm. Well, I it feel was safe. it was funny because uh, I had to find a doctor to do the wellness assessment. Yeah. Uh, because they want a third party doctor that is not your optometrist to do a risk assessment, and they give you this form when you know they make the appointments and said, well, you need to get these done. And I'm like, I don't have a general practitioner. I have a cardiologist. And they were like, well, he can do this too. It's like, no, you don't understand. He's a specialist. It takes six months to get an appointment with him. Yeah. It's like, fortunately, there's a, an auctioner clinic a couple of miles from here. I was able to call them and they were able to slot me in and get me you know, with the doctor. And she knew exactly what needed to be done. So it's like, yeah, we get a lot of this traffic. Uh, so, you know, um, they, uh, you know, so, so they have to evaluate you to see whether you're a high-risk patient, whether it's high-risk procedure, and, you know, it's like it was not a big deal. But uh, on the other hand, I was like, while I was making that appointment, my blood pressure was probably 200 over 140. I was like, I was pan it was it was almost panic attack time. I had to, like, literally go walk around the block. Yeah. After you know, I, I got the appointment. But when I went, when when I actually went to the office for that appointment, they you know they took my blood pressure. It was one fifteen over seventy five. Like, that's not possible. I'm in a doctor's office. Yeah. Like, but it was such it, because it was such a relief because yeah, 
I had gotten it taken care of. It's like it was it was not going to stop things from proceeding. You know, it was like I had taken care of it, and you know, that was that's like the lowest my blood pressure has been in a doctor's office in my entire life. And uh, you know, and and and, and it had been. It's like I could actually almost like hear my heartbeat in my ears. Uh, when I was in the process of making that appointment oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. I was so worried that something would go wrong. It was not going to happen. It was going to block everything up and screw up everything else. Uh, so it, it's, you know, and, and so much of it is, is, is it's not even rational, but no. you we pre- are, you know, you're preaching to the anxiety choir, man. Uh, <laughs> I fucking know it, man. There's no, no part of it makes sense. You can't put it on a spreadsheet. You can't balance it out and find out where it went. It's just yeah, it's irrational it's, physiological it's response. No, it, it, it's nuts is what it is. Um, Raj, let's wrap this one up because my bladder's about to explode. And, uh, okay. <laughs> um, don't want that to happen. No, I don't. I don't need a, I don't need a fucking Tycho bra and die during the show. Um, <laughs> but, guys, go into the description. Find a link to Roger's writing. Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. And... Um, I will see you on the gaming stream probably like an hour. Probably so. Roger. Much love. Till next time. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Recording stopped. Take care. Peace.